the culture of the kingdom. Um, God, God is not, uh, he's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't play favorites. There's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. There's no one in this room that has more of a right to God than anyone else. But, you know, our, our, um, the idols of times past were, you know, were silver and gold statues and, you know, graven images and things of that nature. But the, the world that we live in currently is we have a tendency to worship people. Uh, you know, whether they be sports stars or rock stars or rap stars or whatever, actors and, um, you know, preachers, ministries. And the reality is, is, you know, you're, you're not called to, to worship any person, you know, and that goes for the world and it also goes for the kingdom of God. And we've built a culture where, you know, we kind of operate in idolatry and we don't even realize that we're doing it and we worship people. But the reality is, I mean, the people on TV aren't any better than you are. You know, many times, many times they know if they're not saved, they don't know the things that you know or in relationship with the God of all the earth, you know. But we've built a culture where we've learned how to watch and um, that's really not how the kingdom operates, because um, we are all called to be ministers, okay? All of us are. You know, as I stand behind this pulpit here, uh, this is probably 1% of ministry. 99%, if not more, ministry happens outside of the church than it happens in the church. We come in here to gather together, to encourage each other, um, to love on each other, um, to hear, you know, hear a word in due season, get fed and get strengthened for the purpose of being ministers outside of the church. And um, like I said, we've built a culture where we just kind of watch the person that's up front, and that's really not our calling. And I think one of the reasons that we've embraced that concept is we thought the person standing up front was somehow better than us or had more of a right to God than us, and um, that's just not true. How I many know as you get a hold of the gospel, you realize that the righteousness that God has given has, is not given in increments. It's not like the minister is more righteous and then, you know, people in the second row less righteous, third row less, less righteous, etc. Um, when you receive Jesus, how I many know you received all of Jesus? Amen. And you didn't get it in installments and you didn't get any less of Jesus than anybody on this planet. And so, so what that means is uh, you have the fullness of Christ in you already. You've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You're not trying to get blessed. You are blessed. You're not trying to get righteous. You are righteous. You know, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, um, and so these are, these are realities that have been given to you. And then everyone here, our, our primary calling is that we're, can I get this fan on pretty please? Our primary calling is that we're ministers of reconciliation, okay? That's your primary calling. Everybody in this room, you're a minister of reconciliation. And the reason that you're a minister of reconciliation is because Jesus was successful on the cross. He did a good job. And what that means is that the sin of all mankind was conquered 2,000 years ago. Now, it doesn't mean that people aren't still sinning. It doesn't mean that people aren't still, you know, making mistakes. Um, sin in the verb sense is still taking place on this planet. But Jesus on the cross paid for the sin of all mankind in a noun sense. And, uh, and he conquered it. And so what that means is, is there's no longer um, a separation between God and man concerning the way God... Now, God's always loved us. He's never stopped loving us. But sin came in, and it, and it messed things up. It brought in a sense of death. Um, it brought in a spiritual death. But Jesus took care of that on the cross. The Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And so now the word of reconciliation has been given to us um, that we are to share with the world that God's not mad, God's not against them, God loves them, and God is looking to seek and to save that which is lost. God is looking to help them and to set them free. How many know God has freedom for every man, woman, and child on this planet? And a part, the greatest freedom that you can have is, freedom, is, is death, freedom from death. And that's what Jesus provides in being born again is freedom from death. But then outside of getting free from death in terms of spiritual death, how I many know oh, God wants to set you free from fear? 
He wants to set you free from addiction. He wants to set you free from anything that would try to hurt you and harm you and put you into bondage. Because what the enemy does is he takes death and parades it around in a package of life. He tries to take death and make it look attractive. You know, when I was a, when I was a young man and I was an atheist, I looked at the world and what they had to offer. It looked like freedom. It looked like fun. I looked at the church and I looked at what they had to offer and it looked like more rules and bondage. And so I looked at the church and said, man, that, doesn't, you know, that looks like suffering. I'll have to suffer a short season so I can go to heaven when I die. Because that doesn't look like freedom and it doesn't look like fun to me. This looks like fun, right? And so I walked down this road. And what happened was the enemy had packaged death and made it look attractive to my young heart. The enemy packaged death in a, in a false wrapping of freedom. Because over here in the world, I can do what I want to do. I can say what I want to say. I can party where I want to party. I can sleep with who I want to sleep with. I can go wherever I want to go and just try not to go to jail so that someone would take that freedom from me. But what began is freedom. What started out is fun. The Bible says sin's pleasurable for a season. It ended up wrapping me in chains. To where the time that I was 19 years old, I was a full-blown drug addict. I was a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, I was addicted to everything but cigarettes. You know, and that's the only thing I never got involved in. Everything else I pretty much got involved in. It was available to me at that time. And so what began as freedom ended up bring, bringing me into total and complete bondage. I hated my life. I hated myself. And what happened was the death that's on this planet had wrapped itself around my mind, wrapped itself around my heart, and I lived in death. Now, when I got saved, I got born again, my spirit busted out of those chains and I stepped into life. But I had spent so many years operating in death and operating in bondage and operating in addiction, even after I got saved, I still thought like a drug addict. I still, I still walk like a drug addict, talk like a drug addict, because I was free in my heart, but I wasn't free in my head. And how many know until you get free here, you're not going to be free on the outside? And that's why we have this. How many know this is the truth that sets us free? When it is, when it is rightly divided and when it, when it is given according to the Spirit, not according to the letter, this thing right here will set you free. So this calibrated my mind and washed my mind, so the freedom that I was enjoying inside of my heart and in my spirit became resident in my thoughts, and I stopped seeing myself as a drug addict. I stopped seeing myself as an alcoholic. I stopped seeing myself as depressed. I stopped seeing myself. Actually, that's not who I was any longer. That person was crucified on a cross. Can I get an amen? That person died. And so any element of bondage that a believer walks in, it's a mistaken identity. It's a mistaken identity. See, I got set free from the drug addiction and alcoholism, but it would take me years to get set free from pornography to get set free from sexual addiction. It would take me years to get set free from those things. Why? It was a deeper root. That root was placed in me when I was a child. That, that damage was done in me when I was a child. I mean, when you get hit hard as a child, it takes time to go overcome those things. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to brand you and keep you in that state of shame. And, and sexual sin has an unusual ability to bring more shame than almost any other type of sin. Because it's something that God intended to be beautiful. It's something that God intended uh, to be a relationship. It's something that God gave as a gift. But the enemy always wants to take that thing that's supposed to... How many know sex brings forth life? And, and, it, and it is one of the, the highest elements of union between a husband and wife that you can have. Spirit, soul, and body. And you bring forth life in the process. It's one of the most beautiful things that God's given, but the enemy's perverted that thing and ripped that thing to pieces and, and, and caused it to bring so much, so, forth so much shame and destruction that it can, it can mess up your head. And how many know we live in a world where, where they're trying to sell everything with sex? Like somebody going to eat yogurt naked. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like. Everything. Why? Because they know that's a drive inside of humanity, and they're going to try to put that in there to try to get people uh, you know, to partake of it. But how many know God has freedom from sexual sin? Can I get an amen? 
It's got to be talked about in the church, man. We can't just leave this realm to the psychologist and to things like there is freedom from these things, amen? And not only is there deliverance from it in your head, there's deliverance from the shame, there's deliverance from the darkness, there's deliverance from the evil that's brought in your life. Uh, one of the reasons that people struggle with, with that particular root is rejection. Rejection is the primary root for someone who's dealing with sexual sin. But because of the fact that they were rejected by their mother, rejected by their father, rejected by some type of authoritative figure, what it, what it tries to do is, is that sense of needing to, be, to belong, that sense of needing to be valued is incorrectly and pervertedly displayed through sex. And how many know that in the kingdom, God says, you belong, you're clean, you're worthy, and the rejection that they tried to place on you and even make you your identity, I've stripped out of you eternally. You are not rejected, you are accepted in the beloved. And it is in that place of love and acceptance that someone no longer needs to act out in order to feel some sense of connectedness or euphoria. Amen. And so truth brings freedom. Truth brings deliverance. And so the, the freedom that I enjoyed on the inside, how I many you know God wanted to bring that freedom into my life? And he starts by bringing it into your mind. But how I many know when your mind gets renewed properly, your actions are going to get renewed properly? Can I get an amen? When, when you believe correctly, you're going to act correctly. And the church incorrectly uh, tries to constantly change people's behavior without touching their heart. No, no, no. If I, can, if I can touch your heart through the gospel, your behavior will follow. If you'll find out that God loves you just the way you are, all your mess, all your junk, all your mistakes. How many of those we're sitting here today, there's nobody in this room that's perfect? We all need Jesus. And when you experience love in that place of your failure, in that place of your love just the way you are, you're not trying to change yourself in order to be loved. The gospel finds you and loves you and places value on you in the midst of your failure. It's that kind of love that will change you. It's that kind of love that will pull you out of the pit, dust you off, and say, this is who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. You're not a drug addict. You're not an alcoholic. You're not an angry person. You're not a liar. You're not a cheat. You're not a thief. You're not a castaway. You're not a reject. You're not a loser. You are my child. And so then it, he gives it to you as a gift, and then he allows it through the fellowship of the saints, through coming together, through listening to ministry and studying yourself and have a relationship with God. He'll renew your mind to that so that the freedom that's on the inside of you will be displayed on the outside of you because God does not want anything controlling you. Nothing. He doesn't want fear controlling you. He doesn't want anger controlling you. He doesn't want shame controlling you. One of the, great, the greatest battle I ever faced, I had mentioned some battles, was depression. Depression was greater than, than all the addictions combined in one. Because depression is the type of thing that will try to put a stranglehold on you. And you'll be in a room full of people looking okay outwardly, but inwardly feel like you're dying. It's almost like taking, a, taking, taking sunglasses, but they're like darkness glasses. So the lens that you see the entire world through is bleak sad, gloomy, and, and it's almost like you can even despair of life. And depression was, the, was really the primary battle in my life. And what I didn't really, and I was depressed as a Christian. I was depressed as a believer. And I think it's really important to dismiss the shame of when people are struggling with mental illness and struggling with these things. I mean, you know, people need to get set free from depression and mental illness just like they need to get, get set free and healed from cancer or anything like that. And there's no shame in, in struggle. One of the reasons I think so many, you see so many of these believers and even pastors commit suicide is people are, people are suffering silently because they can't talk to anybody about what they're going through. Because as a pastor, if they come up and share their heart, like, man, I'm having suicidal thoughts and I'm thinking about taking my life, rather than people coming in and helping them and loving them and standing with them, they're just going to judge them and be like, well, where's your spirituality? You know, where, where, you know what's wrong with you? And, and, and I mean, you know, the, the, that spirit of suicide is just as much a disease as someone that's, that's dealing, with, uh, dealing with diabetes or dealing with cancer or any of these things, right? 
And, and we gotta, we got to stand with people, and we, we have to help them through these hard and difficult times and not reject them. The church of Jesus Christ should not be about rejection. You're invited into the family. You're invited into the house. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. I don't care what pastor likes you. I don't care what pastor rejects you. I don't care what leader is for you or against you. You have a father. And he's bigger than a church. He's bigger than a denomination. He's bigger than anything that we can put in a box and try to contain. When you've received the Lord... You are in the family, and nothing's going to take you out of the family. And God wants to walk with people through their times of darkness to bring freedom into their lives. And so the depression that I struggled with, it overwhelmed me. It tried to kill me. You know, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of wanting to end my life. I was, you know, on all different types of medications. But you know what I found out set me free? Finding out that I was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, one of the reasons that people deal with oppression and depression is they feel like that they've sinned so much that God's against them and God's not for them. And so they condemn themselves. But the verdict of the gospel is this, you are forgiven. You are just as forgiven right now as the moment that you receive Jesus. You can't wear that forgiveness out. You can't tear that forgiveness down. How many know the blood of Jesus is more powerful than people's failure? So you are justified. You've been made the righteousness of God. God is with you. God is for you. And he has blessed you. He's not going to pull the blessing off of your life. How many know in order for him to pull the blessing off of your life, he'd have to pull Christ out of you? How many know God's not going to put Christ in you and then pull Christ out of you? No, no, no. You are now the temple of the living God. He's living on the inside of you. He's in here. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And so any so a part of getting set free, so, see, I had been delivered from depression for so long that I forgot that I was ever depressed. And God had to remind me. Depression is as far from me as the east to the west. Never again. Now, it, it has tried to knock a couple times. How many know that God's deliverance in your life doesn't mean that temptation won't knock. Doesn't mean failure won't knock. It's going to knock. In fact, if you live on earth, you're guaranteed it's going to knock. But how many know you don't have to open the door? And if you did open the door, because how many know there's always forgiveness, there's always restoration. If you did open the door, how many know you can still kick it out of your house because it doesn't belong there? See, there's a difference between having, how many of y'all have had some, some political folks knock on your door here lately? Non-stop. And it seems like every time they knock on the door, it's at the worst time. But here, here's my heart towards those people. God love them. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like they're out there doing what they believe and they're working hard and most of them aren't getting paid. And so like when I come to the door, I try to be compassionate and I try to be nice. And, uh, but I'm always like, already voted. <laughs> already voted. <laughs> voted. <laughs> it's over. It's done. But how I many you know, Answering the door, and not portraying these people as evil because they're not, but how I many there's a difference between somebody knocking on my door and then me inviting someone into my house to sit down on my couch and to do life with me? Depression may knock, but it does not have to do life with you. Sin may knock, but it doesn't have to do life with you. Addiction may knock, and it, may not ha- it doesn't have to do life with you. And you may be sitting in here and you're like, well, Jeremiah, I'm in addiction right now. I'm dealing with something. Well, here's the thing. It does change your identity in Christ Jesus. You are still the righteousness of God in Christ. He that is within you is greater than he that's in the world, and you have a right to kick that thing out of your house. You're saying, well, Jeremiah, I can't kick it out. Listen, be at peace, relax, keep drawing and feeding on Jesus. That's all you got to do. Just keep feeding, keep coming, keep hearing, And keep believing that you're the righteousness of God. And when that identity gets solid in you, all of a sudden the chain of that addiction will drop off of you and you won't even want it anymore. Okay, get an amen. It'll be removed from your house. And then you'll be, you'll, you'll get set so free, you'll forget you were in bondage to it. And God will have to remind you so you can share your testimony. Okay, get an amen. 
This is the type of deliverance. Now, the key element of that type of deliverance coming in your life is not allowing condemnation to come in. Condemnation is what puts the chains on us. Condemnation takes a sin and wraps it around us and padlocks it and says, this is who you are. You're an angry person. You're a lustful person. You're a fearful person. You're a worrier. You're a drug addict. You're a slut. You're a whore. You're a bad person. You're an evil man. You're a bad person. You're a loser. How many know God has given you an identity? Can I get an amen? God has given you a label. And the label and identity that God has given you overwhelms and trumps every opinion of every single person that's ever been in your life. God calls you clean. Can I get an amen? You're clean. Embrace that reality. And as you awake to righteousness, sin will lose its hold on your life. It'll lose power over you. And the chains that were placed on you as a child will be broken off of you by your true father. He'll pop those chains off. And you know what? Those chains that used to hold you down will become trophies. They'll become a different type of chain, a chain chain of grace around your neck, saying, I used to be a drug addict, but I got set free. I used to be an alcoholic, but I got set free. I used to be addicted to pornography, but I got set free. I used to be addicted to anger, but I got set free. I got set free. I got set free. So the chains that used to hold you down will become crowns on your head of deliverance because God is able to make all things work together for your good. Every trap you fall in, every hell, every pit the enemy digs that you end up in, God's going to turn it around. God's going to cause it to be a blessing. God's going to cause it to be a testimony. God's going to cause it to be freedom from fear and deliverance in your life and not just your life but other people's lives. Your deliverance is a domino effect. When you get, how many of you know, see, my children don't have to deal with the crap that I dealt with. I cut it off in my generation by the grace of God. Not my strength, not my ability. I get no credit for any of it. Ever. Never, ever, ever give credit to a human being. Don't do it. It's a trap, and it's foolishness, and it's an invitation into pride. And when you embrace pride, you will fall because grace will be frustrated in your life. The number one snake you have to guard against is pride. Don't take credit for any good thing that happens in your life. (laughs) Just don't do it. Don't do it. Give Jesus the credit. Give Jesus the glory. Draw attention to him. Glorify him. Never glorify yourself. And step further, never glorify another person. Are there great people in the earth? Absolutely. Are there great ministers in the earth? Absolutely. Let me tell you something. Any, anything that anyone's ever done for God is because God gave them a gift that they didn't earn and they didn't deserve. They did nothing to receive it. The last person on earth that deserved to be called to minister was Saul of Tarsus. He, he was public enemy number one of the church. He was having Christians killed. He was the least deserving human being on the planet. God says, I've got to pick last place. To show y'all my grace. Last place. This is the last dude on earth that should be preaching the gospel. But I'm going to pick him because I'm going to give him, I'm going to set him up as an example to show you that I will be glorified in the earth. Not a person, not a man, not a situation. I will be glorified in the earth. How many know as long as the Lord gets the glory, everything stays safe? Safe. Safe. One of the ways the enemy gets involved in the church is he glorifies a person. Come on. He glorifies an individual. He glorifies a minister. And, and, and insecure leaders are quick to take the bait because they need some type of validation. They need some type of, they need something to make them feel better about themselves. And so the enemy comes with his glory and says, Hey, look at you. You're awesome. You're so anointed. You're amazing. People should listen to you. You, 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 you. How many know that when the enemy came to Jesus, he tried to get him to prove something? Prove you're the Son of God. I'll bestow on you all these. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get him to glorify himself. There is no one, including Jesus, that's called to glorify himself. Amen. Who glorified Jesus? The Father did. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he committed one act of ministry, 30 years of silence, 
30 years of nothing, 30 years of quietly working, obeying God in the corner, unseen. And before his ministry started, God said, that's my son. My spirit will abide upon him. My spirit will remain upon him. I approve him. I have anointed him. I've called him. I will glorify him. Amen. And so the enemy will try to get people to take the glory. It's unsafe. Don't do it. And it's stupid. Because <laughs> ain't nobody deserved to be glorified but Jesus Christ. Now, I know God will bring glory into our lives, and I know God will bless you and favor you, and God will, I mean, he's just like that. But it's always his glory that he's given to you. It's always his blessing. It's always his favor. How many know we're called to bow down? Bow down. Worship the king. Glorify him alone. It's the only thing that's safe. Because the moment pride gets, gets introduced into a church, into a ministry, into a person's heart, the devil has an inroad into that person to control them. Because when you, when, you get, when you get flattered a little bit and your ego starts to rise, you start to like it. It's the development of a fig leaf. Self-righteousness is the development of something that will help cover you and make you feel important. And then how many know people develop a taste for flattery? And they want more, and they want more, and they want more, and they want more, and they want more. Next thing you know, this individual is so covered by the fig leaf of self-righteousness, they have zero relationship with God. They only have relationship with the glory of themselves. I mean, what happened to Saul. Saul erected statues of himself. He's like, dude, I am so awesome. And then finally, it was like when, 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 the, when the armies was coming, Saul said, oh, we don't need a priest to make the sacrifice. I'm the king. I'll make the sacrifice. And it's that point God said, no, the kingdom's no longer yours, and I'm going to give it to someone who's better than you. Was it a good idea? Sure. Was it a God idea? No. Who did it bring glory to? Him. You can't do that. It's not safe. It's not safe. And the difference between Saul and David, Saul sought for his own glory, David sought for the glory of the Lord. David's heart was to bring the ark back to the house of God. The ark represented the finished work of Jesus Christ. And his heart was to bring back the Lord. And, he, and so, anyway, so you can't, we can't give place to pride. Amen? And, and God has a freedom that he wants for your life, a freedom and a deliverance. Amen? Period. And here's the thing. There's no timetable on your deliverance. Don't you dare allow someone else to make you feel bad about where you're at. Don't you dare look at someone else's tree and judge the fruit on your tree by their tree. No, no, no. You, if, you're, if, you're, if your fingerprint is unique enough that no one who's ever existed it has, has your fingerprint, how much more unique is your spirit? You are your own tree. There's never been anyone like you before and there never ever will be anyone like you. So the fruit that's on your tree is going to be different than anybody else's tree. So don't look at someone else's tree. How I many know oh, you're called to follow the Lord? Can I get an amen? So be at peace. Be at peace. Just follow the Lord. Let him take care of all those other things. But your our primary calling is we're we're, we're called as ministers of reconciliation. Now that looks different flowing through different people. Okay? Some people, like myself, we run our mouths a lot. Not everyone runs their mouth this much. Amen. But, but you're calling to be a minister of reconciliation. How many know that that happens as you express the nature of God on the inside of you through love? Can you get an amen? Okay, no amens. It's okay. You're called to love, folks. You're called to love. How many know you're called to love other Christians? Amen. How many know you're called to love unbelievers? How many know you're called to love Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians? You're called to love drug addicts and alcoholics and atheists? You're called to love uh, everyone, every race, every, every ethnicity? You're not called to, de, to, de, to determine who deserves love and who does not. Amen. And that's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. Because this love that I'm talking about, 
you're only, it's only going to flow through you if you can embrace the love that's been given to you. You've got to love yourself with the love of God. I had many years of my life where I hated myself. Many years. Many years. Many years. Years as a believer, still hated myself. Why? Because all the dumb stuff that I did. But what, what I come to find out is guilt is a horrible motivator for good deeds. So much of the church motivated by guilt, motivated by condemnation. Even, even, even sitting under the gospel, even sitting under the revelation of, of what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, you know, it takes time to cleanse a mind that's been, been polluted by self-hatred. See, because we were taught it was spiritual to hate ourselves, to judge ourselves as unworthy, to come as a worm. Not, not all y'all were taught that, but some of us were. And what ends up happening is, how I many know if I put gas in my car that's filled with water, my car's not going to run good. And if you take a human being and you keep pouring guilt into them and condemnation into them and unworthiness into them, even after they become a believer, they're out there trying to do good works and trying to do good things, but inwardly they're just doing it because they feel guilty for the things that they did. And here's the thing. That's still self-focus. How I many know oh, that's actually not love? If I'm going around out of a place of guilt, trying to be a better husband, trying to be a better father, trying to be a better minister, trying to, trying to, be, trying to do things in my community, and the whole thing is because I feel guilty, how I many know oh, that I'm still looking at me? I'm, it's still all about me. And what it is, is love's actually not flowing through me. I'm using these deeds to scratch my itch of guilt. And so there's still not power in what I'm doing because there's that condemnation trap that's still brewing inside of my heart. Are y'all tracking me here? And so, see, Jesus scratched the itch of your guilty conscience, and he did it one time, and it's been done eternally. Is Christ guilty? Are you in Christ? Then that means that you are not guilty either. You're not, you're not guilty. But Jeremiah, I did this and I did that and I did this. Sweetheart, did any of your actions get you saved? Do any of your actions have the ability to undo the cross? See, what Jesus has done for us is He's eternally made it not about us. So, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're not guilty. Can I get an amen? So you don't have to father out of a place of guilt. You don't have to be a spouse out of a place of guilt. You don't have to be a daughter out of a place of guilt, be a son out of a place of guilt. Now listen, I understand you make a mistake and you feel bad about it and your conscience make things right. Can I get an amen? We have a, res we have a responsibility to walk in love amongst each other. But when I can take the condemnation trap out of me and I can allow love to flow through me, now, my, my, my behavior is no longer out of a place of guilt. And it makes it about Jesus and not about myself. Can I get an amen? I'm just telling you, it's a cleaner fuel to burn in your heart. And it's the fuel of love. Number one, receiving that love, as Justin was, was bringing out. You've got to receive that love. You've got to let that love purge every sense of guilt. How many know that takes time? Enemy works overtime to develop inside of you a stronghold of shame and guilt. I came from a family filled with shame and guilt. All, we were born into it. We were bottle-fed it, man. And, and it was heaped on us. And in all, all reality, it, it, I would say the root of it is probably this book without the Spirit. I mean, the letter kills. How I many know oh, this book will set you free when it's spoken correctly? But how I many this thing will mess you up when it's not? You have to understand that. This, this is a powerful book. How, what, did, what, did, what, did, what did the devil use to tempt Jesus? Scripture. What did the devil use to tempt Adam and Eve? God's words. Enemy uses Scripture because he knows it's powerful. And so the, really the root of guilt and condemnation from the family that I came from was incorrectly. This book, was this book preached incorrectly? Amen. How many know that words have power? And it's not just the words you speak, it's the way that it's said. If I come to Brian and say, I'm a, and I do this all the time, but it helps us to understand the difference between the letter and the spirit. If I come to Brian and say, I love you, 
I mean, there's power in those words. But if I use the same words and say in a different spirit, I love you, how many of those words tear down? This book should never be preached from the standpoint of I love you. should always be preached from the standpoint of I love you. Just the way you are. In all your mess, I came to save you. And so it has taken years to strip the guilt and condemnation out of my head. Praise God. Amen. But when love, when you are enjoying that love and letting that love flow through you, you know what starts to happen? Jesus starts to get expressed. Reconciliation starts to get expressed. Because ultimately, how many of you are called to be ministers of reconciliation? What does that look like? How many know that there are deeds of kindness and deeds of love that are set before you next week? I was walking through uh, Kroger the other day, and how many know that right now the emotional soul thought realm is chaotic? I mean, there's just junk out there. And you need to understand that just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's you. You've got to know that, guys. You've got to know that's not you. The Bible says, Think it not strange as fiery trial, which is to try you the same things accomplishing your brethren. The world right now in the soul realm is crazy. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So don't embrace that as your identity. When, it, when, when depression starts to come in, oppression starts to come in, just feeling bad, feeling hopeless, feeling weak, feeling unworthy, understand you're living in a world where there is gr- the greatest warfare I've ever seen in my life is happening right now. You know, and, 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 and so many times we say it's in the realm of the spirit, and it kind of is, but really it's in the realm of the soul. Because the battle in the realm of the spirit's been won. I mean, we're, we're, the foe that we're, the, the, the enemy that's on this earth is already defeated and stripped of all power. He's just a liar. And when people believe his lies, they ha- he has power over their lives. And so I was walking through, I was walking through, and I was feeling, I just wasn't feeling good. I was not, not physically, just emotionally. I just felt bad. And I just felt like, oh, I know what I felt. I felt, I felt like I, and this is always trying to come in, man. How many know the world's always saying, you know, you, you need something more? You need something more. You need something more. And I'm not talking about food, praise God. <laughs> Amen. I'm just saying, like, I wasn't walking down the ice cream aisle. You know what I'm saying? Because when I walk down the ice cream aisle, you know what I do? I grab that ice cream and I put it in the cart. No guilt. Anyway, moving right along. I figured out how to eat large sums of ice cream and still be fit. Amen. It got real quiet. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> For three easy payments of $19.99, I'll tell you. No, amen. It's called work out like a lunatic and intermittent fasting and then eat ice cream. Amen. Anyway, whatever. Let's, let's jump, let's switch gears right out of that. So what was happening was, is how many know the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain? When you are in a place of contentment, wholeness, the Bible says be content with such things as you have, knowing I will never leave you nor forsake you. But how many of this world operates in something called covetousness? It's, I need this. i got to have this. It can be a material thing. It can be a person. It can be a place. It can be whatever. But it's always you need something, right? That's how, the, that's how this world operates. It's called, it's called, in the Greek, it's the word epithumia. And it's a hungering after, a desiring after something that is not yours. And so I was in this state of not being content. I was in this state of not being happy. Anybody ever experienced it before? Okay. And, and what I'm learning, and what I, what I realized is, how do you know, as I'm in the, the supermarket, I am a minister of reconciliation. I'm representing the kingdom. I've got good news. God loves me. God's not mad at me, and he's not mad at you either. So there's an expression of good news that needs to come out of me. Could be a word, could be an action, could be a deed, whatever. But because of the, the messed up emotional state of my mind, my attention's on me. I am what I'm thinking about. When you're miserable and you're unhappy, you're center stage in your thought process. I can promise you that. And so I realized it, and I realized I need, because what I was doing was I, I was on the take. I was in a place of on the, not on the give, I was on the take. Because I had, the enemies trying to mess with, mess with me, and mess with my heart, mess with my emotions and all that. And so I just felt like I needed something, right? And so... And I realize I've got to get me off my mind. <laughs> you ever heard that term, Georgia, on my mind? Well, I was, Jeremiah was on my mind. <laughs> 
And I realized it. Like, I realized what was going on. And, I, and, and, and you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times victory is just a little shift. It's not some big, huge thing. Yeah, I didn't go out in my car and, and pray for 30 minutes or, you know, nothing wrong with that. But I didn't go. All I did was I thought, you know what? I need to look at who I can be a blessing to. I need to, I need to look for my, for my good work, for the expression of my love, for my kindness. And as I walked down the aisle, I shifted gears, and I got my eyes off of me, and I got my eyes back onto my mission, which is a ministry of reconciliation. And you know what? That whole thing lifted right off my head, and the, and, and, and the person that I am came forth, and I, and I walked through the same place on the gift, ready to help, ready to be a blessing. How many of you know there's so many things we can do to express love? How many of you know you can just be kind to somebody, care about somebody, get something for somebody, bless somebody, buy somebody something? Amen? I mean, there's a million ways to express kindness. And as I got, because a part of the ministry of reconciliation is the expression of love. See, and, and what, as I shifted gears, you know what happened to me? I got happy again. Just a little shift. Because all the chaos in the world was trying to make me feel like I needed something else or needed this or whatever. And it, was tr- it wasn't wrong. How many know I got everything I need right here? How many know you got everything you need right here? And what it was is Jesus was in there saying, hey, I would love to express myself in the earth. But I was like, no, nah, man, I'm way too focused on myself right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. But how many know when I let go, how many know we're doors that Jesus walks through? We're the doors, man. We're the doors that he walks through. And he can only really walk through us when we're not condemned. And that's why condemnation is extremely important to keep out of your lives. You're the righteousness of God. How many know what I could have done after all that happened was got into condemnation? Well, look at you, so selfish, dealing with all that. What's my attention back on? Me. How many know the best way to get set free from you is to quit focusing on you and just focus on the Lord? How many know the Lord is enough? Can I get an amen? How many know he's inside of you? Can I get an amen? He's not leaving. He's right in there. How many know he's not just in here when you come to church? Can I get an amen? You are the church. You are the temple of the living God. You know, I was, I was reading Samuel the other day, and I was looking at David in his life, and I, looked at, I was looking at how David wanted to build the Lord a house so bad. And God was like, nah, I'll build you a house which I love how the Lord does that. I mean, God's always into humbling us with, with his goodness. Always. But you know what God's plan was? God says, I don't want some building. I want you. I'm going to move into you. And in their minds, they always thought, holy of holies, temple, the certain place, whatever. But how many know now you are the holy of holies? He lives inside of you. You are the church. You take church with you wherever you go. And when we and so you're a minister of reconciliation. That ha, now that does that mean that you go around throwing scripture at people all the time? No, not necessarily. Amen. Does that mean you go around you know preaching the gospel to every single per, <clears throat> person you see? Not necessarily. Now it does mean it doesn't mean that you don't. But how I many you know sometimes the expression of reconciliation? <clears throat> this is important. Is taking that love that you've been given. And giving it to somebody else. And giving it to somebody else. See, because if you'll love people enough, you'll gain the right to be heard. I need to say that a few more times. If you'll love people enough, listen, this is not your love, it's his love for you. If you'll love people enough, you'll gain the right to be heard. You know, just like with the, the youth, the, the teenagers that we have, you know. These kids, man, I've been sowing love into them for a long time. And you know now, they respect me, and they listen to what I say. See, you can't force respect. You can't make it happen. I mean, you you can make someone sit their phone down and look you in the eyes, but you can't make them open their heart to you. You can't can't make it happen. How's it going to happen? When an individual finds out that you care about them and you love them just the way they are, then you will earn, they will open their heart to you and respect you. And you earn the right to be heard. Are y'all tracking me here? And so God has people in your life that you see on, don't let this stupid 
virus stop you from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't let a mask or don't let all the stuff that they're trying to force us into stop. This does not paralyze the kingdom. Can I get an amen? This does not stop the kingdom. The kingdom can't be stopped. Keep sharing the good news. Keep loving on people. How many of y'all have people you see on the regular, maybe in a gas station or in a grocery store or a co-worker? Love them. Love them until the door, till God opens the door for you to share the hope that's inside of you. Love them. But how many know if I become so self-focused, I won't love them because I'll feel like I'm operating in a deficit or a negative. And I don't have enough. You got to receive that love and then you get that love. You're a minister of reconciliation. When I know God loves, see, God not only loves you, he likes you. He likes you. I love how David said that in the Hebrew. He said, God liked me. When he's talking about him and Saul, you know, when he's talking to, to Michael's, to Saul's daughter, Michael, he said, God, you know, God chose me over your father. God liked me. And the word in the Hebrew is the word ratza. God likes you. How I many know when you know God likes you, you don't need everybody else to like you? <laughs> Amen. It's that, that's one of the greatest freedoms any of us can have. Because we live in a world where we determine our value by how many people likes us. I'm here to tell you right now, if, if you've got to have people to like you to feel okay about yourself, you need to get stronger and more established in the gospel. Because God's going to ask you to do things that people don't like. God's going to call you to do things that people don't like. How many know truth does not seek to please people? It seeks to set them free. And I cannot go around trying to be liked and spend my days trying to be liked and really be a servant of God. Well said. Let me say that. When you know your son, you don't have to try to be a son. And when, when you know that God likes you and God loves you, it sets you free from people so that you can now minister to people. If you're subservient to people's opinion of you, you can't minister to them. And you won't tell them the truth. You'll just flatter them. Amen. Now, this, the, all that statement doesn't give you the invitation to be a jerk. Can I get an amen? Because we, 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 we've had teaching in times past where we thought, in order to be an effective Christian, I've got to be a jerk. Well, I'll just tell the truth. i just call it like I see it. No, no, no. You're not invited into jerkhood. Amen. That's not your calling. Amen. Amen. You're, 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 called, you're called to to express the truth in love. And, and so you are you're a minister of reconciliation, amen? That's your calling. And you do it through impacting people's lives. Can I get an amen? How many know the way you treat people matters? Man, I just can't I can't say this enough. If if your revelation isn't bringing you to a place of treating people better, then I question the validity of your, your revelation. Revelation should always bring you to a place of love. Always. Always. How do you know a tree? By its fruit. What's the fruit that defines us as believers? Love. Amen. Love. And how many know we live in a time where everybody's mad? Everybody's, yeah, amen. All right, well said, well said. Touche, touche. A lot of people are mad. Justin is not mad. <laughs> amen, amen. Me too, me too. Amen. But there's this place where I believe Christians, out of a, a desire for a good cause, are angrily forsaking the nature of the kingdom to, to, to fight a battle that is a battle, but how I many you know everything you set your hand to should be hands of love? And this is what God dropped in my heart during worship. All that other stuff was just prophetic stuff that was going on, but this is specifically what God dropped into my heart. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Roman soldiers came. Peter rose up 
drew his sword and was ready to fight the Lord's battle in the flesh. Is there a battle going on right now? Yes. The temptation is to be a Christian fighting this battle in the flesh and not fighting this battle in the Spirit. Please hear me here. And so, Peter drew the sword, and he had a good idea. You know what I'm saying? Let's stop people from killing Jesus. Let's stop people from murdering Jesus. Let's stop people from taking Jesus. Now, how many know that that is a good idea from someone who's a friend? I mean, oh, Peter loved Jesus the best he knew how. And he followed this guy for three and a half years, and, and Peter was a fighter. And there's nothing wrong with being a fighter. God needs fighters. When I see people and they have, and they have children or something that are very strong-willed or they're fighters, I'm like, man, that's a gift from God. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I promise you. We live in a time where we need people that will dance to the beat of a different drum. We need people that won't follow the status quo. We need people that are going to be leaders. We need people that are willing to fight against the norm. Can I get an amen? God loves people like that. People like that can be great for the kingdom or against the kingdom. But, but Peter was a fighter, and so he rose up, he drew his sword, and he had a good idea that looked like it was for a good cause. But he took the sword and he attempted to murder a man that Jesus wanted to save. He did it out of anger. He did it out of fear. He did it out of a, a good cause and a good idea. But he was carrying a sword that was made of flesh and not a sword that was of the Spirit. And when he swung the sword, he didn't kill the man, but he cut off his ability to hear. How many people are having the ability to hear God being cut off by Christians right now in this season? Because they're being attacked. Their cause is being attacked. Listen, man. You are of a kingdom that is not of this earth. You're of a kingdom that's greater than the governments in the earth. And listen, I'm, I'm passionate about my political beliefs. I voted. I'm passionate about it. But the only people really hear my passion is my family. And some people that are around me. But as a whole, I'm not going to take this pulpit and paralyze the kingdom in the name of politics. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. Because the message that I carry of the kingdom is greater than any political agenda that's on the planet. Peter had a good idea. Peter had a good cause. But in his state of anger and fear... He cut off this man's ability to hear. The man's name is, is Melchus, and, and, it, and it means hearing one. He cut off his ability to hear. Does God want to save people in all political parties? Yes, He does. Amen. God wants to save people in all political parties. How many know God wants to save people of all nationalities? How many know God wants to save people of all manner of bondage to sin? God's love is not a respecter of political party or race or sin. How many know God will save the worst sinner that's ever lived? That's His plan, right? And so... What we want to make sure is that the sword that we're carrying is not a sword of the flesh that's going to offend people and cut off their ability to hear the greatest message on earth, which is the gospel, the good news that God loves them. See, one of the natures of the flesh is it's, it, 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 it operates in factions. 
It operates in us versus them. Paul says, are you not carnal as speak as mere men? I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, whatever. Sowing division. See, the kingdom is greater than that. The kingdom reaches out to save. So the sword that you carry, how many know it's not an angry, offended sword? How many know it's love? Love changes people, not argument. Love changes people, not argument. Love's what changes people. And so Jesus knew that, see, how many know that Roman soldier wasn't the problem? Let's trace the problem. Roman soldier came. He's just some dude, right? He's just some dude that's deceived and operating in a kingdom that God wants to pull him out of. Roman soldier. So let's see. Why did he come? Well, he, become, he came because of Judas. How I many old Judas betrayed Jesus? So problem's not the Roman soldier. Let's go to Judas. Is the problem Judas? No, there's a deeper root. How many know there's a deeper problem than Judas? How many know behind Judas and the Roman soldier is Satan? And how many know God wants to save the Roman soldier? And I believe God wanted to save Judas. But Judas decided to pay for his own sins rather than letting Jesus pay for him, which is self-righteous. And so when we're looking at all these factions and all of this, all of this war that's going on, let's look past the Roman soldier and let's see that God wants to save that person. Can I get an amen? Now, in all these statements, I'm not telling you not, not to take a stand for what you believe. Can I get an amen? Don't water down what you believe. Take a stand for what you believe. Don't water it down. Take a stand for what you believe. We don't need people laying down on the truth right now. Take a stand. Can I get an amen? Not drawing back on that at all. But that's not really where we need correction. <laughs> what we need correction is remembering that our, our, our primary mission is a mission of reconciliation and love. And so Jesus went, he picked the dude's ear up, he put it back on his head, he healed him so that he could hear. What if that was one of the Roman soldiers that got saved when Jesus was crucified on the cross? I mean, I dare say that his heart was ripe to receive when the man that he was about to arrest healed him before he arrested him. Listen to me, love's hard to argue with. Because it is beyond the realm of logic that you would love your enemies, that you would do good to those that hurt you, that you would pray for those that despitefully use you. If you keep loving people like that, eventually what happens is God woos their heart and they get saved or they get changed or they get turned around. Can I get an amen? Love is a greater weapon against darkness than anger. Love is a greater weapon against darkness than anything. And so in the midst of all the things that we have going on, let's not cut off people's ability to hear the most important thing, and that's this, that God loves them. Can you get an amen? Now, I'm not telling you, don't pull back on your, on your stand. Don't pull back on the truth. Don't pull back on that. How I many you know love that's compromising truth is not love? That's a really important thing to say, too, because the enemy would want to say, well, love is all-inclusive, and love accepts everything that everyone does, and there's no right, there's no wrong, just, ladies and gentlemen, that's not love. That's a straight-up lie. That's not love. If I see a man drowning, and I encourage him that he's going to be okay, that ain't love. This brother drowning, I'm like, oh, you're going to be fine. Man, your hair looks great. <laughs> Your hair looks great, man. You're doing great. You're doing great. And this guy's dying. He's like, okay, I'll just drown. <clears throat> How many know that, that love says, you're drowning, you need help? Amen. And, and, and this, this concept of uh, love being this all-inclusive thing that accepts everything that everybody does is, is just garbage. How many know they're still right and they're still wrong? It don't change that. But, but God wants to reach in and wants to save. Amen? He, he wants to seek and to save that which is lost. His heart has not changed and it will not change. Don't pick up a sword of anger and flesh 
and cut off people's ability to hear the message of reconciliation that's in your mouth. Amen? Don't, don't do it. You, you're a minister of reconciliation. You're called to operate in love. Can I get an amen? And here's the thing, and your life's going to be better as a result because there's all kinds of crazy winds that are in the world, but how many of you know there's a deep current of peace inside of you? Anybody ever put your hand down into a current of water before and just felt it? The current of the kingdom's inside of you. And it's deep. And it's loving. And it's peaceful. And it's joyful. And how many know you draw water out of that well? Amen. You don't allow the winds of this world to blow you crazy. You're in a kingdom that can't be shaken. Amen. And let's stay in that place of peace. Let's stay in that place of love. And let's, let's be the answer. Let's not be the problem. How many know Peter had a great idea? I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but that's okay because I want you to get it. Peter had a great idea. Peter had a great cause. But, but what he didn't realize is in the greatness of his cause and his idea, he was actually working against the kingdom. How many know Jesus came to die? Amen. That's exactly right. It's true. I mean, it's trite, but it's true. Amen. I mean, just because everybody else has said it. I mean, I've heard it a million times. Have you all heard it a million times? A good idea is not a God idea. Amen. We, we have to, we want, we want to follow the kingdom. Amen. So anyway, praise God. Yeah. That's what I got for you. So, um, amen. Praise God. So that's it. We're done. I, I had one of these days where God didn't give me a message this week. And um, anytime I tried to prepare something, I would get an err. And so that means he's going to give me the message during worship, which is scary, you know, but it is. I mean, it's really scary. It's scary because, you know, but what I have, I may, I have a relationship with God. And so he's going to toss me the message and I got to catch it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's never failed me in that when he tells me to do that. But had I had my own idea, it would have been far less effective you know, because he wanted to do something different and he's the boss. So anyway, so with that, if he might wants to give 